What do you want? What do you want right now? What do you need in your life? What would you say is missing or lacking from your experience? Is there something financial come to mind? Is there a financial need in your life? Maybe a physical need, a need of healing, a need of rest, a need of recovery. Is there a relational need? Is there a relationship that is in need of healing, in need of reconciliation? What about an emotional need? Is the main need in your life right now an emotional need, peace or encouragement or strength? Or is it possible it's a spiritual need? And you recognize it as that question is asked, you think first of a spiritual need in your life. As, as you think about that, as you reflect on that, I want to offer an opening prayer for us today. It was written by Dallas Willard. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful to you that you have said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are thankful for the ease with which you walked upon this earth, the generosity and kindness you showed to people, the devotion with which you cared for those who were out of the way and in trouble, the extent to which you even loved your enemies and laid down your life for them. We are so thankful to believe that this is a life for us, a life without lack, a life of sufficiency. It's so clear in you, the sufficiency of your Father and the fullness of life that was poured through you, and we're so thankful that you have promised that same love, that same life, that same joy, that same power for us. Lord, slip up on us today. Get past our defenses, our worries, our concerns. Gently open our souls and speak your word into them. We believe you want to do it, and we wait for you to do it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning a new series today titled Life Without Lack. And we're going to be rooted in Psalm 23 for the next six weeks. And it's going to feel a little different than holy fire, at least at times, I would imagine. So if you've been with us the last five weeks, this might feel slightly different. But as we begin, I want to help define what we're talking about when we talk about a life without lack. Again, from Dallas Willard, a life without lack is a life in which one is completely satisfied and sustained, no matter what happens, no matter what happens. And it's not merely a matter of gritting your teeth and hanging on, it's a matter of real provisions directly from God to you. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a life without lack. And I'll add something to it. It is eternal life, too. The life without lack that is offered to us in Jesus Christ is eternal life. In fact, there is a place, one place in Scripture where eternal life is explicitly defined. And it's when Jesus is praying for his disciples right before his betrayer brings his accusers to him. And so I want to begin by reading John 17, verses 1 through 3 to you, and then we'll 
dive into this a little deeper. But after Jesus said this, all of, Matthew, or all of John 14, 15, and 16, where he was describing what was going to happen and the Holy Spirit was going to come and all that that meant, after he said all those things, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. Pay attention. You might want to write this down. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? How does Jesus Christ define eternal life? That we may know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Now, this series gets its name from a book that I read on my sabbatical. Thank you again for the sabbatical. It continues to be a phenomenal, uh, changing season in my life. It has ushered in so many wonderful things in my life and in my leadership, and I believe coming in this church But one of the books that I read early in that sabbatical was this book by Dallas Willard titled Life Without Lack. It came highly recommended by a couple of people. I've read at least a half a dozen of Willard's books. I've got at least a half a dozen more that I'd like to read. Um, And he's been an all-time favorite of mine. But in reading this book, it, it brought me to new levels of freedom, of contentment, and of sufficiency that has outlasted the sabbatical period, right? You might say, well, Pastor Mark, you were on sabbatical. Of course you were, you were feeling freedom and contentment and sufficiency. Well, as the sabbatical ended and life has continued, the, that freedom has only deepened, that contentment has only deepened, that sufficiency has only deepened, and I want to share that with you. So that's why we're doing a series on this book, because I believe that a life without lack is God's vision for each and every one of us. And we'll uncover that. We'll kind of be introductory in some ways today, and we'll uncover that as we move through this series. It's going to be based on the teachings and insights from the book, and the book is actually available for purchase, okay? Linwood's not making any money on this, so this is not like your tithe today. Um, But if you want to pick up a copy of the book... It's available out in the lobby. We, our friends at Crossroads have made it very, very easy for us. And so you can pay $15 even, no tax or anything like that. We got that all worked out. And uh, you can have a copy of the book if you'd like to read this book along with us, uh, along with me in this series. And so that's available out um, by the table and it's highly recommended. It's also highly recommended by me personally that you set out to memorize Psalm 23 over the next five weeks. Some of you might have a head start on this. Maybe you've already done this. But I want to encourage you to to memorize Psalm 23 and to recite it at least once a day. Put a reminder in your phone. Find some way. Put it somewhere that you'll see it when you're getting ready. Put it on your bathroom mirror or something like that so you'll see it and you can read it out loud or you can recite it to yourself at least once a day. And I say at least once a day because anytime you start to feel anxious, anytime you start to feel like something is missing in your life, like you're lacking something that you need, it will be there. Thy word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you, David said. And so you hide this word in your heart and when you start to feel anxious, when you start to feel like something is lacking, you can recite this to yourself and it can bring you that peace and that contentment and that reminder and so there are a number of ways that you can make that a part of your life but I encourage you to do that today we're going to 
focus on verse 1. Each week we'll read the whole thing, the whole psalm, and we'll focus on a different verse or two. Today we're going to read and focus on verse 1 in a message titled, The Lord is My Shepherd. That's how Psalm 23 begins. And there, the, that opening verse tells us about some very important things about who we are and who God is, and and what's available to us. But before we get there, I want to tell you why this matters so much and why I'm so excited for this series. Because our mission here at Linwood is to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith. And I believe that a group of people, a community of people, living a life without lack on purpose in this world will help us to reach people for Christ. And it will make faith attractive to them in a way that maybe it's not to a lot of people. And that if we can get this right, and if we can go through difficult times, and we can go through unsettling times, and we can go through our own personal seasons of suffering with a sufficiency and a, and a without lack lifestyle, people are going to say, what is going on with you? Tell me more about how you're walking through that difficult season, or you're going through life in these uncertain times with such peace and such contentment and such confidence in who God is. I believe that this, living this way will help us accomplish our mission It will help us reach people for Christ. I also believe it will help us to accomplish our vision to be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. That living a life without lack and learning how to follow our Lord and Savior as our shepherd will bring us to new levels of health emotionally and spiritually and relationally. And this is so centered on a couple of our core values. You know, we talk about these core values and we don't just say them so that we have something to put on the wall. These are really important to us. And when we talk about centering our lives on the word, a life centered on God's word and what it says about him and what it says about us is a life without lack. It's available to us and we're going to discover that as we go through this. And we want to leave a legacy of faith. We talk about that a lot. We want to leave a legacy of faith. That's why we created a residency program. And I was so excited to see Pastor Ryan share a message and to hear the positive feedback and the affirmations that he received as he stepped out in faith and in courage and shared that message with us last week. But we want to leave a legacy of faith. And we want to leave a legacy of faith that isn't a God who has blessed us to live a life without lack. We want to leave a legacy of deep faith, deep, unshakable trust in who God is. So before we dive into scripture, I want to encourage you today to commit to one of four levels of engagement in this series, okay? I'm going to ask everybody to commit to level one. It's up to you. It's optional. We're not going to be taking, taking role or anything like that. But at least level one. Level one is to make it a priority to be at, whether it's in person or online, to be at all six weeks of this series, to not miss a week. It is progressive. It is somewhat cumulative. We're going to walk through this series, and we're going to be going through it over the next five weeks today and the next five Sundays. And I want to encourage you to at least commit to that. If you can be here in person, please be here in person. I know we've got an online audience. Some of those people are hundreds or thousands of miles away. Then they tune in every week and they worship with us online. Others could probably be here. And I want to encourage you to re-engage the in-person experience if you're able to do that. And if you're not, then stay and worship with us where you are. But if you're here in the room most weeks and you miss a week over the next six, I really want to encourage you on Sunday to find us online, to go to our YouTube page, our Facebook page, 
and watch the service. Worship with us and make sure you don't miss one of these. So that's level one. Level two would be to attend all six weeks like level one and to memorize Psalm 23 and to make that a commitment that I'm going to memorize that psalm and I'm going to memorize it to the point that I can just rifle it off at any given moment. And so when I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're experiencing anxiety, I could quote Psalm 23 to them. I want to know it that well. That I could recite it from stage in front of 150 people. Know it that well. And this is not as hard as it sounds. If you just record yourself saying it and play that to yourself once or twice a day, you'll have this down within a couple of weeks. So that's level two. Level three would be to do level one and two and buy and read the book. But there's a caveat. I don't want you to buy and read this book if you're not reading... Oh, geez, I just messed up my notes. If you're not reading this book, don't buy and read this book. Okay, do me a favor. Start reading this one every day. If you're not doing that, make that your level three. If you are reading Scripture every day, then read this book. That could be level three for you. You'd have five weeks to read this book. It's an easy read. It is not heavy and laborious or anything like that. It's easy to understand. It's very accessible. And you could read 10 pages a day and you'd have it knocked out pretty quick. And then level four would be to do one, two, and three, and then meet with one or more people one or more times to discuss what God is saying specifically to you. This will help you cement what you have learned, what you have understood. We're not going to facilitate this necessarily as a church. We'd love to see it happen more organically. You get with one or two or more people. Maybe you have a banding together group and you set up an extra time to go to lunch and talk about the book. The book actually has a study guide included in the back pages where there's some discussion questions that go along with the chapter. So you could meet weekly and discuss a chapter or two with somebody. However you choose to do that, that's level four. That you would meet one or more times with one or more people and discuss what God is saying to you. So, I'm encouraging you to pick one of those levels and commit to it. And we'll revisit that as we go through the series. So today we're going to look at Psalm 23 and we're going to read the whole thing and then we're going to focus specifically on verse 1. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 23. If you're in the room and you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you and you can grab one of those. And I'm going to read Psalm 23 verses 1 through 6 to us. It's the New International Version, the ones in the pew or the... NIV 84, they changed the wording, and uh, we got to use the one that uses the word lack because of the name of the series. So that's why we're doing the NIV. So listen along with me from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this psalm is often referred to as the shepherd psalm. It's attributed to David, and we are pretty sure he wrote this before he became king. You see, he was a shepherd before he was a king. And as he was a shepherd, he recognized that the Lord was his shepherd. And this is a theme that occurs frequently throughout the Old Testament and is present in the New Testament as well, this idea that God is the shepherd for his people. 
In fact, there's a place, perhaps the clearest place that this is explained is in Ezekiel 34, where God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel, I've set up all these pastors, all these shepherds, all these priests, all these spiritual leaders, and they've done a terrible job. So I will shepherd my people, God says in Ezekiel 34. I will be their shepherd. And then Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament. And what does he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the best shepherd. I am the shepherd who even lays down his life for the sheep. And so as we look at verse 1, as we really focus in on this familiar verse that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. We see three important things. We see who God is. We see who we are in relationship to God. And we see what is available to us. In that relationship with God. That's kind of our roadmap, and we will break this verse down according to that roadmap. First, we see who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. We're talking about the Lord. We're talking about Jehovah. We're talking about God. And God is indescribable. That's one of the best descriptions that you can give to Him, but it is in itself a description. And when we describe God, when we make our best effort, when we give it an attempt, I believe he is glorified in that. As Kim prayed, wasn't the worship amazing this morning? As, as Kim prayed during that, that instrumental break, and she was praying the attributes and names of God, it was powerful. And so while he is indescribable in his nature, and infinite in his nature, we are blessed when we make a good effort. And one of the best descriptions that I have ever heard or one of the best quotes that I have ever read about who God is comes from a theologian from the 19th century named Adam Clark. Maybe you've heard this before. I'm going to read through it fairly quickly. Uh, Don't try to write it all down necessarily. If you want this quote, email me, mark at linwoodchurch.org, and I'll send it to you. He said, God is the eternal, independent, and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence." known fully only by himself because an infinite being can only fully comprehend itself. A being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. You got it? That's a mouthful, isn't it? A lot of big words. And yet with just as much profundity The Apostle John wrote in his first letter to the churches, God is love. And I think he did just as good a job of describing God with those three words as Adam Clark did with however many he used. God is love. He is good. He is is invisible and yet visible. We don't see God, but we see his activity in the world. We understand from Scripture that He is all knowing, He is all powerful, He is ever present, and He is beyond time, which is hard for our finite minds to grasp. But while we move through time in a linear fashion, God doesn't. He is all places and all times all at once. 
He's represented in Scripture by a number of physical manifestations. We talked about some of these in the last series, that he is a consuming fire, that he revealed himself as a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud. I'm sorry, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. That he also shows up in a still, small voice, that he is a God who speaks. And he reveals himself to us. And I believe the names of God that we find in Scripture are illuminating to us as well. They are insightful. They are helpful to us. Names like Elohim. This is the Hebrew God that is featured in Genesis chapter 1. The creative and governing power that spoke everything into existence. The pre-existent creative God who governs everything. Yahweh or Jehovah, this is how God revealed himself to his people when Moses asked for a name to give God. In Exodus 3, he said, I am that I am. He is a self-subsistent eternal being. He is also referred to as Adonai, a personal God, my God, not just a distant, detached deity, but a personal God. He is El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is El Roi, the God who sees me. He is El Rapha, or Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me. He is all of these and more. He is utterly good. He is utterly beautiful. He is utterly loving. And that makes him the best company we could ever hope to have. We should always want to exist in the company of this God that we are describing. In fact, Willard says that is the being. This description that we have been focusing on for the last few minutes, that is the being upon whom a life without lack relies. Such a life is guaranteed for those whose minds are set upon this God in faith. You might say, oh, that's an awful tall claim. I think you're going to find that it's true as we continue to go through it. So that is a little bit about who God is. Obviously, that's not all that we could say about who God is. But next we see who we are in relationship to this God. That's the next area that I want to focus when we talk about the Lord is my shepherd. There's a relationship there that is being explained. It tells us about who we are. And we are sheep, right? We are sheep. And what do we know about sheep? Sheep are wholly dependent upon the shepherd, more so than other animals. It was an intentional description They're dependent upon the shepherd for protection because he can defend and deliver us. They are dependent upon the shepherd for direction. He can lead us and he can guide us. They are dependent upon the shepherd for provision because he is not limited at all or stingy with us. So we are wholly dependent upon him. But that comes with some bad news, right? The bad news is sheep are stupid. Have you ever observed sheep? And I know I just said we are sheep, and then a few minutes later I said sheep are stupid, so I'm sorry, I just called you all stupid. But you're not stupid in relationship to each other. In fact, I would say most of you are smarter than average. But in relationship to the shepherd, we're stupid. In relationship to the shepherd and all that he knows and all that he understands, we're stupid. In fact, we can only be labeled smart compared to each other, not compared to God. Sheep wander off. Sheep eat too much. They eat the wrong things. They're very vulnerable to attack. They're easy prey. I could go on and on, but I don't have time to 
talk about all the things about sheep. That's the bad news. Sheep are stupid. The better news, though, is that we are image bearers with God. Way back in Genesis, it tells us that we were created in his image. That we are eternal as well. That we are creative like God. That we are created in his image in order to create in his image. That we have an opportunity to be creative. We have an opportunity to be eternal. We will be forever somewhere. So the stakes are high. But even though we are eternal and creative and we are image bearers of God, we are not self-subsistent. We require subsistence from God. And we are not almighty or all-knowing or all-powerful. We are severely limited in our capacities and we are dependent upon God. But the best news is that we have a good shepherd available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees the crowds and we're told that he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless. And so he comes into our lives desiring to lead us, to guide us, and he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, and he proves the extent of his love by dying on a cross for us, paying the penalty of our sins. And so that opens something wonderful to us. Something wonderful is available to us. That's the last thing I want to look at from verse 1 today. It's that last phrase, I lack nothing. And that's what's available to us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a life without lack. That's available to each and every one of us. He wanted us to have it. The New Living Translation translates it, I have everything I need. The English Standard Version says, I shall not want. You might be familiar with that language. I I won't even want for anything. And we can trust God to deprive us of no good thing. This is a big jump. It was hard for me to make this jump to to recognize that if I do not have it, I do not need it because my shepherd gives me everything I need. And if we can get to that place, we have taken a huge step towards a life without lack. You see, there were things in my life that I really wanted and I didn't have them. And I thought I needed them. And as I started to embrace the idea that if I don't have something, whether it's a material possession, whether it's something in a relationship, whether it's some sense of affirmation from others, whatever it might be, if I don't have it, I don't need it because my shepherd gives me everything I need. And what we need, God has in infinite supply. Think about that. I really believe God desires that we would never fear or experience lack, that we would never experience anxiety because we are following our shepherd. Our shepherd has everything we need, and we can trust him. He is taking care of eternity for us. And Willard explains that one of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if things are true means in turn that we will live as if they were so. What we need to do is is not just say, but really believe that God is good, that he is sovereign, and that he will give us what we need. And he has, through Christ, given us what we need for eternity. And so the good news of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, carries within it that we can live and experience a life without lack. 
We can experience the rich and satisfying life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10 when he said, I came to give them life and life to the full, the abundant life, the rich and satisfying life. I just don't think, I don't see anything in Jesus' character that indicates that he would dangle that out there if it wasn't possible. That he would say, I came for you to have a rich and satisfying life. I came to have, for you to have an abundant life. But, oop, just joking. Does that look like the Jesus that you read about in Scripture? Does that look like the red letters? No. In fact, I wrote about this in the devotional for the digital bulletin, a passage from Isaiah where God is saying, I have made myself known. It's not like you can't find me if you seek me. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing. I came for you to have a rich and satisfying life. It's available in me. It's not available apart from me. And if we go looking for it apart from him, we're not going to find it. We might find something close in some circumstances, but it will always come up short. Jesus will never come up short. And so, again, to quote Willard, he wrote the book, okay? So I'm just going to quote him a lot in this series. I'm not even going to apologize. (laughs) If you will take the time required to come to know and trust God as he is, asking the Lord to give light to your mind, you can come to a place of perfect peace and fearlessness. Because God is with you, you can live without fear. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's possible? I do. I really do. I believe Jesus believed it was possible. That's why he talked about it so much. And he modeled it for us. He showed us how. Has anybody ever in the history of the world faced what Jesus faced? The perfect sinless son of God. The sins of the world were heaped upon him. And yet in that moment, he could say, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He lived a life without lack. And he shows us how. He did it perfectly. And that's our bottom line today, that Jesus lived a life without lack. So can we. He will empower us. He will show us how if we learn from him. He said in today's reading, if you're a banding together reader, it was Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is gentle and easy to bear, and you will have rest for your souls. Jesus lived a life without lack, and so can we. However, it will take some time. (laughs) Even Willard said in his quote, if you will take the time. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, and it takes time. I wish I could preach a sermon good enough, That all you had to do was hear it and you'd be living a life without lack for the rest of your life. But I don't think it's three easy steps. I don't think it's a good sermon away. I don't even think it's a good series away. I think a good sermon and a good series are good starts. But it's going to require some lifestyle changes. It's going to require us to retire certain old desires and habits and to adopt new desires and new habits. The psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that process involves us delighting ourselves more and more and more in God and getting rid of some of the other things that we used to delight ourselves in. And then he gives us the desires of our heart and our hearts desire new things because our delight in God has given us new desires. That's just one example. And I don't want to preach the whole sermon series today, but in week three we're going to talk about exchanging our self-obsession for deep faith in God. 
And we are just hardwired to be obsessed with ourselves. And yet a life without lack hinges upon deep, deep faith and trust in God. A childlike faith in his goodness, his protection, his provision. One more Willard quote. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed, manifested, and taught was about more than his death for the forgiveness of our sins. As important as that is, it was also about the kingdom of God, God's immediate availability, his with us-ness that makes a life without lack possible. There's so much more to our relationship with God than just his dealing with our guilt and sin. Once we have been forgiven, we are meant to live in the fullness of the life that Jesus came to give us, the rich and satisfying life. As J.D. Greer has said, the gospel is not just the diving board into the Christian life, it's the whole pool. We swim in the good news every single day. In it, we live and move and have our being. So what do we need to do? Real quickly, a couple of things that we can do to get started. We must turn our minds constantly to God. We must set our minds on the things above, as Paul said in Colossians 3. And some, some ways that you can start to do this, it would be to start and end your day with Scripture and prayer. Now, it doesn't have to be an hour of Scripture and prayer at the beginning and end of the day. You may choose to do so, and if you're in a seasonal life where that's available to you, great. If you're not, it can be as simple as one or two or three verses. It could be Psalm 23 until you have that memorized. Scripture and prayer, get the Word of God into you. I would encourage you to set a reminder on your phone to remind yourself seven times a day to pray, just to bring to God back to mind. It doesn't have to be a long, lengthy, head down, eyes closed, hands folded prayer. It can be a God, come back to me in this moment. Help me come back to you in this moment. As simple as that, seven times a day. Put it in your phone. If you don't know how to do that, find somebody under the age of 40. They'll show you how. If you need me to help you, I'll help you. If you need somebody on staff, all the staff have reminders built into our phone. We can help you do this. You could put it on your calendar, and you could, you could do this. You could seven times a day bring your mind back to God and watch and see what changes. You see, we're not just looking to somehow get more faith. That's not the goal to get more faith in Jesus. That's not the goal of this series. We're looking to develop the faith of Jesus. Jesus lived a life of faith that's available to us. And I want us to have it. And I believe it will bring righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as we close here, I would be remiss to not ask if the Lord is your shepherd. To not ask if you are in a saving relationship with Jesus. And if that's a question you're not quite sure how to answer, or you know the answer is no, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you reach out and accept the gift of God that is available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for us not just to have a better life here on earth, but for us to have eternal life with him forever and so if he's not your shepherd or you're not sure today can be the day when you reach out and accept that gift when you confess I'm a sinner I'm in need of salvation I believe it's available to me in you Jesus Christ I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to lead me in living according to your will maybe you prayed that prayer before and 
you just recognize, you know what, I've gotten off track. I've, I've been a sheep that has wandered away. And it is not too late to come back. It is never too late to come back. Today can be a day that you turn and come back. So what level are you committing to? I want you to share it with somebody. I want you to share it with, if you're bold enough to share it with a spouse or share it with a friend, get a little bit of accountability. Say, you know what, I'm going to go for level one. I'm going to go for level two, level three, level four. Tell them why. My why in reading this book was that I wanted freedom from a lack mentality, a mentality that thought I was missing out on things that I needed. I wanted freedom from that, and I found it over the last couple of months. It's not perfect. Sometimes I think I need a few less red lights. Sometimes I think I need a few more of this or that, or a little bit more of that. But then my mind goes back to who my shepherd is, and that he doesn't withhold any good thing from me. He lived a life without lack, and I believe he wants us to as well. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for anybody who might have prayed that salvation prayer, who might have reached out and accepted the gift of Christ that is available to them, passing from death to life, from being dead in their sins to being alive forever with Christ. I thank you for what your spirit might be stirring up in our hearts right now. Thank you for the vision of a life without lack that you have for us. And I pray that you would help us to reach out and to follow you into new places and to follow you into new freedom and to new contentment and to new sufficiency. Have your way in us now as we respond in Jesus' name.